one social commentator I was listening to um, said something that I've since found helpful. And at the heart of his message really is that life is really hard. Life can be brutal and you'd better get used to it. Now he comes on a bit tough, I think, and as, he, as he says, toughen up um, as part of his message. Now what I find a little bit helpful from listening to him, I'll, I'll nuance this in a little while, but what I find a little bit helpful is that it removes the expectation that life ought to be easy. It can sometimes seem like our world is shocked when when life is hard, when actually that expectation makes life a little bit more bearable. And as a parent, it might mean I raise my teenagers to expect if they're going to do a working day, that that working day might feel like hard work. That's okay. Life is hard. Or a new boss might be irritating. It's good to know sometimes that life isn't easy. It helps us to think, well, it's not just me that realises that or that thinks that. But it also seems a pretty cold, hard message if that's all you've got or if that is the heart of your message. Will you say toughen up to a widow or widower at a funeral or even a year or two, three, ten later? To the person with chronic back or neck pain, you've got no idea what it's like to live with that. To the person who'd love to toughen up in workplace injustice but they just feel they can't, they're managing sick parents and trying to manage a strained household and Life is just too much. And so it's little wonder that our, much of our world and, and the symptoms of it suggest that the world isn't coping and that it is a tough place. And so into this, what's to love about Luke's gospel? What does Luke have to say to us? Well, in Luke's gospel, in his portrait of Jesus, we see Jesus, a saviour who understands struggle, perhaps more than the other three gospels. Luke, more than the other Gospels, speaks of the great reversal that comes with Jesus, of a saviour not only for Jews but for those struggling from all nations. His good news is especially packaged so that the poor, the broken, the sick, the sinners, Samaritans receive it. Luke has a special concern for women. He has a special interest in the power of prayer. He uses a lot of parables to bring real comfort into a hurting world and to orient us in it. Rather than difficulty and struggle being met by our own resources, just toughen up, life's brutal, in our struggle we are visited by this person, Jesus, who will one day make everything perfectly well and whose comfort begins now. As I've written in the back of my journal, it's a word I sometimes read, it's simply this, everything's going to be okay. I don't know if you need to remind yourself of that sometimes. Everything's going to be okay. And another line in the back of my journal. Because of you, Lord, it's good to be me. Because of you, Lord, it's good to be me. Jesus alone makes such statements true. Otherwise, it's just wishful thinking. It's easy to believe. Sorry, is it easy to believe, however, that Jesus, the Saviour, can make a difference in your circumstances and mine? Not necessarily. The best news isn't typically easy to believe. That's why the first four verses of Luke's Gospel express this is a carefully investigated account. If you turn to Luke 1, 1 to 4, you notice in verse 3 it's been carefully investigated. There are layers of witnesses from eyewitnesses through to Luke gathering and compiling, built upon reliable sources so that verse 4, you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. 
So in a sense, I'm continuing the carol's introduction to Luke from last week brought uh, by Andrew, but moving forward into chapter 1 today. All aspects of Jesus can change our lives, but today, approaching Christmas, we hone in on Jesus' birth. And so I ask, what do you make of Jesus' birth and what difference does it make to you in your everyday living and in your everyday struggle? Are you yet benefiting from this event as much as the event offers today and tomorrow and next year? So let's see what happens, point one, when Jesus enters Mary's life in verses 39 to 45. Mary was part of a nation ruled by Roman force. They long anticipated a saviour. Mary understands struggle along with her nation. But when will the relief come? And so the excitement of saviour Jesus' arrival leaks to the world before Jesus has even left the womb. Look with me from Luke 1.39. At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth, who's pregnant, heard Mary's greeting, the baby, baby John the Baptist, leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit who uh, came upon Mary, leading to the conception of Jesus, verse 35, is all through these events. These are spirit accounts, spirit events. And by the Spirit, Elizabeth senses how blessed Mary is. I take it in the sense of being chosen and favoured, verse 30, and how blessed, how chosen, favoured, how special is the child in Mary's womb. See verse 42? In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Now what's so special about this child? Well, there's another spirit-inspired information leak in verse 43. But why am I so favoured, Elizabeth says, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? It's a fairly strange thing to say, don't you think? The mother of my Lord? Already she recognises, not through sheer intellect, but through the Spirit's revelation, that Mary will give birth to her Lord. And when the Lord's presence is felt through the Bible, many feel unworthy to be nearby. Who am I? Why me? I'm unclean. My lips are unclean. Away from me. Or I reverently remove my sandals. Elizabeth, herself to be the mother of the greatest of prophets, up until that time, says... But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And we might ask, why are we so favoured to be here this morning, that we get to experience it ourselves through this report? The beautiful story of our Lord and his mother has come to our attention today, and we with eyes and ears of faith can similarly savour these truths and our souls feed on them. Isn't verse 44 wonderful? Cousin Mary, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Unlike Zechariah the priest, Mary believed what many would call impossible or unbelievable. This time it was not an elderly woman who could now, couldn't previously conceive who would now conceive But this time, a virgin would somehow give birth. Verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. 
you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, the Lord saves. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Your son will be my son, God is saying, an eternal king. Now when uh, Gabriel made big promises to to Zechariah as priest, he should have known. He should have been able to believe them. But he wanted more evidence. He asked, verse 18, if you take a look at that, how can I be sure of this? Mary's question, however, is quite different. Not if so much as how it will happen. And how a virgin might be a mother, verse 34. It's a reasonable question. Many even to this day doubt or scoff at the virgin birth, even after it has happened. Mary believed it would happen before it had happened. Now what? Was this the only way God the Son could become a human? Have you ever thought about that? Why the virgin birth? We don't know if that's the only way God could have done it, but we do know it is is the way God chose to do it. For God the Son to become human without losing his full deity, his godness. Did God make himself a son to save us? No, God the Son existed before the creation of the earth. God the Son always existed. It's more that God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit saved us in a way that matched who he eternally is, Father, Son and Spirit. And so the mode of salvation matches who he is. Was this arranged on the fly? No, before humanity was created, this spectacular plan was always to occur and explains why humans were made in the image of God and with a dignity far above other creatures. Because God the Son was always intending to be one of us, one with us, and we with him, that the divine might share in human mortal life and that the mortal would share in divine life. The incarnation explains creation as well as the new creation. The infinite God of the universe would have a people and we created people would be brought into the eternal life of God. That was always the plan. And so while we may struggle for a little longer, the grandness and the glory of this plan means we can have ultimate peace and it's only moments away from God's point of view. When Jesus enters Mary's life, With her consent, by the way, that's an important word in our culture, consent, where marriage is broken down. In verse 38, she gives consent. And so many of her blessings are available also to churches like ours. Key words, word and Holy Spirit and believing through these passages. The word that blessed Mary and blessed then, blesses now. The Holy Spirit who worked in Mary's life and gave faith is the word that's doing that among us today. And thirdly, the word belief or trust, confidence or faith. Faith in the Lord's word remains the conduit today for us to benefit from God himself and the truth he gives us in our trials. Put the other way, on the other side of the coin, through faithlessness, we remain in the dark, unmoved in heart, unhelped, dead to God, dead to the joy and comfort he offers. 
I don't know if you've noticed, but our society picks on certain sins we think are worse than others. Each decade, each couple of years even, the sins cycle around and change. At the moment, sexual offences and racism and sexism get a whole lot of airtime. And we Christians and churches make the same mistake of imbalance, of preoccupation. Some of those preoccupations are there for good reason. But one of the fundamental permeating sins in the church and in the world is unbelief, is faithlessness, a refusal to accept what God says is plain to see. Um, In Jesus' day, we saw the Pharisees, that no matter what God the Son did and said, they will reject him. They are faithless. They refuse to believe. The church, too, needs to be clear about this so that we can help ourselves and our world. That the refusal to trust God is gross immorality. The refusal to trust God is gross immorality. Remember the beautiful picture at the end of the New Testament. Revelation 21 lays out life and the new creation with God. But at the same time, it speaks of those who will be excluded. And unbelief is in various ways highlighted through the book of Revelation. In Revelation 21.6, the Lord says, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral... Those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. It's an odd thing, don't you think, to have human unbelieving put alongside the vile and murderers, sexual deviants and liars. Not even at all on the radar of our contemporary society. In Luke 1 verse 20, Zechariah was made mute on the basis of his unbelief as a very gentle lesson from God to trust him when he gives a promise. And so if I can jump down to point three in your outline for a moment. We're talking today about having a merry Christmas. And to have a merry Christmas will mean to stop doubting God's word, increasingly to believe it, and receive the consolation and strength our Lord is offering us. God's blessing comes through belief in his word. Or in the words of Luke 1, 45, blessed is she who has believed the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now friends, in God's mercy, Christmas comes around once a year for our world. I remember listening to Mariah Carey's Christmas album in a shopping centre in a strictly Muslim city in West Sumatra, Indonesia. I was listening there in in the shopping centre, Oh Holy Night, the the night where Christ was born. His testimony is going out to the ends of the earth. Look at Mary's son, Christmas says. Look at my son, Jesus. If you've been considering Jesus for some time but not going all in, this is the Christmas to begin move from a secular Merry Christmas, which has a fairly superficial merriness to it. Some of you might even dread Christmas, dislike it. 
move from a Merry Christmas to a Merry Christmas, to welcome Jesus' Mary, her joy to fill your heart as you face another year ahead. Welcome Mary's joy. In Mongolian culture, mothers are really highly regarded. Uh, we were living there for a number of years, and we noticed uh, that words about mothers were in songs, themes of mothers were in their dramas. It permeated their culture. Their love and influence was sung about as a pure love, a selfless love, a constant love. And it's even uh, warriors and uh, the strongest of people get sentimental about their homeland and their mothers in Mongolia. It's quite beautiful. If you could imagine, if you could speak with Mary, what Mary might say to you about her son and his love for you. I don't suggest you try speaking to Mary, by the way. Um, speak to God directly. If you could speak to Mary, what might she say to you? One of the saddest images in the Bible comes in John 19.25, where it says this, it's a short verse, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Can you imagine being the mother of Jesus, standing near the cross. I'll never be a mother. I'll never have a mother's love in that sense. But I can only imagine Mary's grief. Mixed in, I take it, with an immense pride at what her dear son was doing on that cross. And what does Jesus do while on that cross? He cares for his mum, ensuring she'll be taken care of after he dies. To his disciple John, he says, your mother. And to his mum, Jesus, he says, here's your son. I can no longer look after you on this earth as I did practically before. He'll take care of your needs. And Mary goes to live in John's house. Blessed indeed is this woman, even through the sorrow of mothering the man of sorrows. Blessed is she, even though she lives in a world that is often cruel and painful and difficult. Sadly, today, Mary is often worshipped or idolised or people pray to her instead of to Jesus. If we praised Mary back in her day, Mary, you gave life to Jesus. She would say, no, look at him, praise him. He is the one who gave life to me. He alone is the perfect mediator between God and man, not me. Mary's blessedness comes not through what she does or, or did so much as who was her son. If you find yourself to be a dutiful Christian who does much for Jesus, let Mary remind you of how much you are outgiven. If you are suffering, look this Christmas to the man of sorrows and know that comfort is coming. If you live with your glass half empty, if you notice you are more miserable, cynical than you'd like to be, you might spend more time in Mary's story and with Mary's Lord Jesus. What's so good about Mary's Lord? Point two. Verses 46 to 56, Mary's very happy to share with the world. Let's let Mary express 
express it herself. Verse 46. And Mary, with the spirit, with the eyes of faith, said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Mary here is borrowing from Hannah's ancient prayer from 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah couldn't have children and cried out to the Lord. And it was at a time where Israel was in a real mess and needed saving. And so through this one act of mercy to Hannah, God showed both mercy to Hannah and mercy to Israel by providing Samuel the prophet. When God does miracles like that, something big is going to happen. We saw it in the lives of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. We've seen it now with Hannah. We've seen it with Elizabeth. And now we're seeing it with Mary. This time God uses not just the womb of elderly Elizabeth that couldn't bear children. This time it goes up a level and two at a time. A follow-up miracle of a virgin womb to produce a greater saviour for a greater rescue. Let's listen to Mary then, echoing Hannah before her, verse 48. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Hannah was describing the same Lord as Mary. But the lovely upgrade now for us is that we can read Mary's words with the Lord Jesus in mind. The mighty healer, carer, leader, the Holy One of Israel who lifted up widows and the lame and the blind and brought down the proud around him like the Pharisees. Verse 49, The mighty one has done great things for for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. I don't know if you've come from a Christian household. Um, My grandparents were Christian. My great-grandparents were Christian. My parents were Christian. Uh, I and my wife my children. That's not the case across all generations, but certainly we can see the blessing from generation to generation that merciful is our Lord, whether it's our physical family or our spiritual family. Isn't it wonderful that from her childhood, Mary from the, with the Spirit could say, I praise the Lord in the heavens above. Incredibly, now she could add, And the Lord is my son. It became entirely appropriate for Mary to worship her son. The son who, like the father, is, to borrow some of her words, verses 46 to 47, he's glorious, mindful, does great things for little people, is holy, merciful. He scatters the proud, reading their inner thoughts. He brings down and he raises up. He fills when it's needed. He empties when it's needed. He helps. He remembers to be merciful. He's a promise keeper. What he says, he'll do. What he says he'll do, he does. And so, friends, returning to the issue I raised at the beginning, does joy for you seem elusive? Is life lacking purpose? Too busy one moment and then bored the next? Do you go from chasing peace and arrival in one place after another? Feeling like someone or something is always missing, a missing ingredient, that life is just continually disappointing or too often disappointing, can't find what you're looking for. Then too much of our hopes may be set on disappointing things. 
Because, friends, what we're looking for is Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. If you want to begin enjoying heaven's joy on earth, remember Mary's Christmas. The Lord who filled her heart is the Lord who will fill yours. David, how do we do that? I've heard something similar before. Uh, Many of us have upcoming holidays. Holidays are nice, but I encourage you to pursue not just leisure, but spiritual refreshment. If you've been going too fast, slow down. If on screens a lot, have a month with strict limits on them would be a suggestion. Uh, I don't know if you're a morning person or night person, but it may be you set your alarm and spend time with the Lord, whatever time, six to seven in the morning, again at eight to nine at night. Have time through this period to read or pray, go for a walk and pray, sing even, to practice being present in his presence. What steps might you take so that you say more and more often, in whatever your circumstances, the truths of verse 46, my soul, your soul, glorifies the Lord, and my spirit, your spirit, rejoices in God my Saviour. Amen.